Hi guys. You're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. I'm delighted to be joined by author, editor, journalist, teacher, and all-round top bloke Trevor Warman. Hello, Trevor. How you doing, Stuart? Thank you for having me on. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to, to chat. Uh, where are you zooming in from? Can you describe the scene for us? Oh, the scene, it's idyllic. I mean, it's basically my spare room, my cluttered spare room in uh, Ashford in Kent in uh, southeast England. It does look beautiful. Just behind you, I can see a really idyllic calendar. Uh, so if you'd zoomed yeah. in on that, I would have thought you were in some marvellous um, grassy yeah. scene. <laughs> oh, that's a good plan for next time. Maybe I'll take a photo. I can make it my background. And then, um, yeah, 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 I'll yeah. pretend that I'm in the savannah for, from the Kalahari or something. Yeah, yeah. The gothic <laughs> life of an of a indie writer. <laughs> in the Sahara one day in Kent the next that's it, that's it. that is it <laughs> thanks so much for joining us great to have you on the show uh, before we get into the book itself tell us a bit about yourself Treasurer uh, there's lots of hats there lots of stuff to keep you busy uh, what would you get up to yeah I mean it's um, it, uh, I, yeah I, essentially I, I, I stumbled into um, teaching as a young man um, when I left university I didn't really know what to do with my life like a lot of um like a lot of young people I dare say and so my father sort of suggested to me well why don't you be a teacher son you know it's um you know it pays relatively well and the holidays and all that and I was a bit like well you've taught all your life dad and you hated it but uh, <laughs> but either way I ended up um, ended up getting into into English teaching which um has been enjoyable in a lot of cases um and not 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 so much others but um yeah that's kind of um my what pays the bills in a lot of ways but I think um I've always had a, a relatively sort of creative sort of streak and I've quite enjoyed um sort of exercising that and um essentially um got into writing when um yeah, when my when my father died, actually, and um and and when he did, it was sort of quite sudden and a bit unpleasant, and um and I just started writing, and and it sort of was quite a cathartic thing for me. Um, it kind of um yeah, it just made me feel a bit better, really. So so from that, um, I ended up um sort of I met, met an agent and ended up learning kind of he sort of taught me how to actually write commercially. And I think that's the key thing because a lot of people can kind of write and, um, you know, have that sort of skill and, you know, but to be able to to narrow it down and to make it commercially viable and all that sort of stuff um, is a real skill you have to learn. So then got into the writing and then, yeah, man, just on top of that, really um, enjoy uh, going to West Ham, home and away from my sins. Um, and, um, and yeah, got, got four kids and, uh, like making a bit of music and just, yeah, keeping busy, like you say, Stu, you know, keeping me out of trouble, really. Excellent. Lots of creativity there. Uh, so obviously you, you mentioned your teaching and your writing. Did, uh, was there a, can you remember your English teacher? Do you think they would have seen you going on to become a writer back in the day? <laughs> Do you know what? It's funny you should say that because um, recently on uh, the wonders of Facebook, um, I've um, one of my ex English teachers uh, has has found me and uh, yeah, has has started talking to me. Miss Johnson, I'm not going to say her first name, but Miss Johnson, yeah, and uh, me and my me and my best mate used to, um, you, we were terrible in A level. We used to bunk her lessons all the time, and we were terrible, terrible <laughs> students, really. So, yeah, I think she might be a bit surprised, really, but um, but no, it, really positive, really supportive, and and um, and yeah, I think you know my my issue was that I was um, 
quite naughty. I think um, I went to grammar school, Dartford Grammar School, and I think, um, you know, people like myself weren't really catered for in the 90s. You know, people who might have possibly undiagnosed issues and stuff like that. Like, I, I'm pretty certain I'm ADHD and stuff like that. So I think in those days, you were just seen as a very naughty little boy. <laughs> and that was yeah. um, and that was um, kind of the issue. So, yeah, no, I think they would be quite surprised to, to find that out. But like I say, it's nice to make contact with some of the old teachers who have actually been really supportive. So that's nice. Lovely. And now you are being that supportive person in, in, in your, your day job. And uh, what's it like for you to kind of, uh, share the the creativity you have in you with with other people and to try and inspire that in in people it, do you know what it's lovely and the profession itself is, is a is a beautifully noble profession um when it comes to the to the students uh the people that you are are dealing with um and trying to educate you know that that side of it i i adore and um you know when you when you are able to teach a good lesson and when you when the kids sort of um or adults depending on who you're teaching when when they um get it and they they feel what you're trying to get across it's a really positive thing um and but like you know like a lot of industries unfortunately there's, there's a lot of other stuff that goes with it um that, that that can be a bit bureaucratic and a bit difficult but the like you say the actual um getting in there and and delivering and teaching and making sure that students are equipped for a multifaceted and very difficult modern world yeah, I love it. I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything. It's very tiring. It's very exhausting. Um, but it is, um, yeah, you really get a sense that you're doing something something good. So, yeah, it's it's a lovely thing. And like you say, it's kind of like a bit of a circle, like a circle of life or something, you know. It's, it's nice. To be able to yeah. <laughs> now get images of you holding your students up like Simba at the... That's right. Yeah, I'm like the Rafiki character. Yeah, sort of shaking <laughs> the letter. <laughs> no, but it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's a good thing, man. It's a good thing. Amazing. Uh, let's talk a bit about your, your latest book then. Um, it's a different one to the sort of stuff you're usually used to writing. Uh, Don't Look Back Hungover, How to Handle Your Drinking Demons. As the title suggests, this is a, a very personal subject um, for anyone to write about. What, what inspired you to, to tackle this story? Um, yeah, basically, I uh, drank alcohol for uh, essentially the best part of 25 years from the age of 14 I was like a lot of young people in, in uh, you know all around the country I guess drinking in parks and buying sort of two litre bottles of cider with my mates and um, and getting absolutely smashed uh, most weekends and that kind of continued in various forms um, until until my late 30s I'd say um, so obviously the, uh, the quality of the drink probably got a bit better. And I think I, I sort of earned more money. It sort of went from sort of, you know, cider to lager to, to wine um, and so on. But um, but the principle kind of remained the same, which is that um, I think that we have in this country a fairly large alcohol uh, issue. Um, and, and I think that a lot of it is unresolved. And I think a lot of people are not comfortable necessarily um, addressing the issues they may or may not have with alcohol. I mean, one of the phrases that's used is grey area drinking, which is, you know, people believe that unless you're sort of on a street corner, you know, glugging sort of petrol, that you know, you, you don't have a problem. But, um, you know, the, the grey area is, is, you know, if you need two glasses of wine a night or if you need four beers a night, what does, what, where does that put you? Are, are, do you have a problem? Are you, are you an alcoholic? All that sort of stuff. So, Cut a long story short, Stu, I wanted to um, 
explain to people who are in a similar situation to me um, that it is possible to be able to address the issues with your drinking. And I must say that when I was probably 33, 34, 35, I never believed that I would ever quit drinking. I just thought it was going to be part of my life forever um, and I would be living with it um, forever. And um, I was able, uh, through a variety of means, to, to essentially quit. Um, and yes, you know, you do fall off the wagon at times and it's not just plain sailing. That's part of the whole process, really. Um, you know, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't never call myself an alcoholic, but I would say that I was a problem drinker. And I would say that it was having a negative impact on my life, my relationships and all that sort of stuff. So what I I got a lot of inspiration from quit literature that's out there. But a lot of the quit literature that I found was aimed um, at women and it was aimed at sort of, um, you know, the wine drinking, that sort of stuff. And so I wanted to create a book that um, could support and help what I would sort of tentatively class as laddie sort of men. So men who are into going to gigs, going to football, um, who have an awful amount of peer pressure and toxic masculinity probably in their lives um, that may be from generations and generations of, of um, you know, hardened drinkers and, and a sort of feel like maybe they want to start addressing their drinking, but actually, um, you know, have innumerate barriers to being able to do that. So, I essentially wrote the book to, um, to, to, it's not scientific, it's there as a kind of handhold to help people hopefully along the way if they want that kind of level of support and so on. And really it was the, the, the problems that I faced when I was getting sober and how I got through them. And um, yeah, hopefully, yeah, it will help other people to do the same thing. Amazing. I think you're right. There is, a, you know, to, to come at it from that angle, from a a sort of lad's perspective it can be a bit of a culture of that you go to to college or, or even when you finish school you go down the pub quiz and then you know you suddenly you're, you're hanging out with your mates at the weekends and you're all clubbing or whatever and it's, it's always this sort of phase of life you're still yeah. involving drink throughout every phase of it and, and alcohol ties it all together man and that, i think the issue that um that i had to cut through which is really quite um quite difficult to do is that you know that there is um, the government has a lot to answer for with alcohol advertising and it, and it is so ingrained and endemic in our society that you're actually stigmatized for not drinking <laughs> so if you're you know if you're not drinking you know why are you not drinking are you driving uh are you on antibiotics are you, are you pregnant yeah. <laughs> what is it like? <laughs> yeah and it's kind of like well actually i um i don't want to wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety or I don't want you know I want to sleep through and have a good night's sleep or um yeah I don't want to have a head a bad head in the morning so I've actually got work to do you know um so yeah so like I don't know I just felt like um I feel that um it's you know I don't my issues I don't want it to become about sex because I think that, that I've read a lot of female books you know from a female perspective that really helped me as a bloke and I hope my book will help females as well but I just felt that you know this toxic um you know, toxic attitudes on both sides, you know, and I think that we need to address that. And like I say, I can only talk from my perspective, which is being a bloke sort of growing up in the 90s and the noughties and stuff. And so, yeah, hopefully um, hopefully it will resonate with some people. I, I hope it will. I, I think um, yeah, you mentioned there talking about um, it still being a, a day-to-day issue that, you know, you don't just stop and that's it and it's all done and all finished and, and over. Um, I guess it's important to kind of acknowledge that as well. And uh, I guess you do that in the book that... Um, yeah, before the before the the pandemic, I used to go to comedy nights and and do stand up comedy, and you're always doing them in a pub, and yeah, literally encouraging you to buy drinks to keep the venue going, 
And <laughs> there's a lot of comedians who are in that position who are saying, well, I, this is my job. I'm in a, in a pub every night. It's really difficult to, to keep doing it. And how, how do you find, is there a kind of uh, a friendship or a, a kind of group that you, you get involved with? How do you get around that element of it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, uh, Stu. I think, I think that um, when you first quit and, you, and you're quite uh, adamant about that, for me, and I think a lot of people find this in the sober community, um, you do lose friends. It's as simple as that, you know, and you because the places that um, you used to go and, and find sort of solace in, like, you know, I used to go and have 10 pints in the pub with my mates and I used to love it. But, um, you know, when you get sober, you don't particularly want to do that anymore. And you don't particularly want to go and watch other people sort of slurring and, and saying the same things over and over again. So, um you do definitely find your tribe. You find your people who, um, who, who, and it does take time. And, you know, there was a period of, of, of time, if I'm being totally honest, where I was a bit like alone, you know, and a bit kind of lonely. And I was thinking, oh, God, and then, you know, do I need to go back to this lifestyle because of that sort of thing? But, um, but I think, you know, my advice to people is kind of stick, stick with it and, and it, will, it will come good and you will find your, your, your true mate who will, um, who will, who, will, um, who will be there, you know, and, and who will support you in that sort of sense. But it is, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard, hard transition. And I think there are a lot of good things happening now in, in, in the country, like Andy's Man's Club, which is, um, you know, something people can find online, where it's, it's kind of encouraging men to talk, but not in the pub environment. So it's taking them out of that. And, um, and yeah, and I think, you know, hopefully as we move further into 2022, you know, bars and pubs are integral to our life and I, I don't want them to go. And I also don't want alcohol to, to be outlawed. I, you know, I want people to have choice and I think that's the right thing. But the good news is that hopefully there's going to be better alcohol-free options and and so on in those bars and places. And, and you know, like I say, the sort of not drinking aspect will be, um, will be less stigmatised as we move forward. hope so. I hope so. So... In the book, um, obviously, it tackles all sorts of stuff um, and your personal stories and your personal perspectives, as well as all the, the great advice you, you've picked up along the way. Um, have you shared this book with any of your friends and, and family? And what was that experience like? Yeah, that was ter- uh, harrowing, really. I mean, uh, <laughs> like um, my mum my, my read it. Actually, my mum reads all my books before they um, before they come out. And um she was like, you can't put this out. <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, I think I'm going to. And she was like, no, no, no. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky because, you know, there is um, an element, I guess, of any uh, creative endeavour, any artistic endeavour where you are bearing a little bit of your soul, really. And I do that um, in my crime fiction. Um, um, but I obviously this is more intense because this talks about, you know, actual experiences that happened in my life. Um, and, you know, I've changed names of friends and so on in the book, so that, that bit covered. Um, but, yeah, I mean, luckily for me, I don't read it <laughs> like after I've written it, really, you know, so I am. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of out there. And, you know, I think for me, um, once you get the first positive review, um, which has luckily already happened, you know, and someone says that, you know, it's, it's helped them and, and it's, um, you know, it, it's a positive thing, then that kind of makes up for the the difficult aspect of it, you know. But I think, um, yeah, I think you have to you have to put yourself out there. You have to bear yourself a little bit to, to be genuine. Otherwise, people don't don't you know don't acknowledge the fact that it is genuine. And um, and so yeah, so it's tough, but part of the part of the cause, I think, really. Absolutely, it's a brave thing to do. Well done. Uh, 
You mentioned your crime writing. Uh, certainly, not your first rodeo as as a writer. You've written a whole series of of fictional novels, um, a children's book too. How does writing something like this differ to to writing in in fiction? Oh, it's it's infinitely easier for me. I mean, it's um, <laughs> because you're 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 not necessarily thinking in character, um, so it's it's easier to write. It's um, much more enjoyable. Um, in, in, I mean, I wouldn't say it's much more enjoyable, actually, but I think it's definitely quicker and, and easier. And I, um, I did enjoy doing it. Um, but by the same token, I do enjoy the crime writing as well. But the crime writing is, you know, the books are longer. Um, there are um, much more, many more sort of twists and turns and, and storylines and stuff that I need to make sure I match up and add up at the end, um, which, which is a more time consuming, and more difficult process. It involves more people. So, um, so it's definitely a, diff- a different process and um, one that I think, um, yeah, it's certainly simpler. But like I say, I wouldn't really give up either. I, li- I, like, I like both of them. And, you know, the thing, the main thing with the crime books is that um, they are sort of localised to the southeast um, and, and to sort of, um, you know, Kent- Kentish areas and, and, and West Ham sort of appear in most of the books and stuff. So there are, there is an element that, that they are kind of, Set in, you know, setting is key to them. So I really enjoy that aspect as well, um, as sort of making intriguing characters. And again, you know, you feed off, you, you feed off the fact that people now are excited about the next book coming out, and they, they contact me and they, they want to know when it's coming in and what they can do to help and all that sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice process. It's a stressful process, but it's, it is nice. It's important. You still enjoy both. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned earlier on when we were talking about um, you, the fact that your agent helped you to understand how to, to kind of commercialise your writing and stuff. Was this a um, an independent release? This 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 book. The first the first book uh, where I referred to the agent was was traditionally published um, on uh, the Conrad Press. Uh, it was Sunny Sands, but I um, I ended up um, I ended up taking all my books away from the traditional publisher and went independent um, because. Uh, after weighing up a lot of options, I felt it was the best thing for my writing, and it has been um, uh, because I can control um, more of the stuff that I want to control, um, which was good for me. Um, so, yeah, I think that, um, that that was a good thing. I think that the the process of um, of, of learning what I needed to do w- was really key, and obviously I couldn't have got where I got to without that. And I think... Um, yeah, and I think if you know the advice to any writers or potential writers out there is to is to kind of do your research and ultimately um, cut cut things shorter. I think that was the main thing I learned was that actually you know you think this wonderful description of um, I don't know uh, uh, an HGV lorry um, is really integral to your book, but actually um, <laughs> maybe your readership doesn't really care. So like they want to see the action and they want to know what's going to happen next to, to your protagonist and stuff. So um, so yeah, um, cut it down was, was the main thing that I learned. Um, but yeah, I mean the whole thing's been a really interesting journey, and um, you know I needed to learn what I learned when I did, um, but now I now need to learn about bloody Amazon ads and marketing and stuff, which seems to be the uh, keywords <laughs> and metadata and stuff that's like, what? You know, I grew exactly. up in the 90s, yeah. man. Yeah, we had 90. We had yeah, we had Nintendos and Ataris. I don't know about this stuff. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it's a whole new world out there now. So it's, uh, it's a bit terrifying, but we'll get there, I'm sure. We'll get there. 
pieces it together. But you're certainly yeah. creating magic. I look forward to uh, to enjoying the the crime series too. Um, Trevor, uh, I understand you you enjoy your live music as well. I do enjoy my live music, Stuart. When we're allowed to go. Yeah, it's been a bit more tricky lately, isn't it? But uh, you've been, has, managed yeah. to get back out there. Uh, no, I've been to a lot of football, which has been nice. But um, but what have I got lined up? I've got uh, a Brian Fallon gig in London um, coming up. He was the lead singer of the Gaslight Anthem. But yeah, no, apart from that, I've been eyeing up a few festivals, but I'm just sort of waiting to see um, see how, how we go with the old COVID. It looks touch wood like we're, we're coming out of the woods, doesn't it? But you never yeah. know, do you? So um, there's a few things coming out. I think Rage Against the Machine and After Punk, people like that, um, pique my interest in, in you get back out there soon fingers crossed <laughs> Trevor thanks so much for chatting to us and uh, and for sharing your story so openly and and, and passionately you're, you're an inspiration sir um, good job and uh, hopefully we'll get you on again to talk about uh, your, your future releases lovely Stuart thank you so much for your time it's been, been marvellous thank you ever so much we'll speak soon see you later Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the interview, then please share it. Uh, If you didn't enjoy it, then share it anyway. (laughs) For more guest interviews like this, or to get the next one delivered directly to your device, subscribe to the Now You're Talking podcast. You'll find it wherever you get your podcasts from. And the whole thing has become a huge library featuring well over 150 guest interviews from music, film, comedy icons to community heroes, local legends, stars of the future and just about everybody in between. A treasure trove of life's stories from all sorts of incredible people. So for more interviews, podcasts, videos, poems and books, everything I do is available at stuartpink.com.